Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Ben Schreckinger. He is a national political correspondent for Politico, and his new book is The Bidens, Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. Ben, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. Congratulations on this book. I want to start with uh, the headline finding from it, which is that when it comes to this controversy that arose shortly before the November 2020 election about Hunter Biden's laptop, these emails come out showing that Hunter Biden was leveraging his family connections to pursue various business dealings. The response from the Biden campaign and from the media was essentially that all of this was unconfirmed and even possibly Russian disinformation. For this book, you've confirmed the contents of this laptop, at least some of the contents of this laptop. Can you talk about just how this controversy arose and what you were able to confirm yourself? Sure. So, you know, famously in mid-October of 2020, the New York Post began publishing uh, a series of stories based on what it said uh, were the leaked contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, the story it provided uh, as to how it came into possession of these files was that Hunter had dropped off a uh, laptop and a hard drive uh, at a repair shop in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, not far from where his father lives, and uh, forgot about them. And that after 90 days per this repair contract, uh, the the hardware became the property of uh, John Paul MacIsaac, the owner of this Mac MacBook shop in uh, or Mac shop in Wilmington, uh, and that he later uh, passed them along to Rudy Giuliani, and that Giuliani and Bannon uh, got them to the Post in the waning weeks of the presidential campaign, uh, and there was uh, immediate suspicion of this story of you know yeah was this legitimate. Uh, information? Was this backstory real? Was this Russian disinformation as a number of former uh, intelligence officials claimed it appeared to be? Um, and uh, it kicked off a debate about censorship as well. You know, Twitter blocked links to this, uh, even prevented people for a time from DMing it, suspended the New York Post Twitter account for a time. Jack Dorsey pretty quickly said he, he regretted uh, that Twitter had done that. Uh, and I, in the course of researching the book, had the chance to corroborate parts of uh, this cache of leaked files. I obtained them from people working with Steve Bannon, uh, people who had been working to disseminate them uh, back before the election. Uh, I was able to confirm the two emails that were at the center of the first two big New York Post stories, uh, one in which Vadim Pisarski uh, is thanking Hunter for the opportunity to meet his father. Uh, Pisarski is a, was a, an advisor to the board of Burisma. Um, and another where there's a, a breakdown of a proposed equity structure for a venture that Hunter and Jimmy Biden, Joe's younger brother, uh, were considering entering into uh, with a Chinese oil executive, Yi Jinping and others. Uh, that includes this line 10 held by H for the big guy with a question mark. Um, I spoke to somebody who had independent access to Hunter Biden's emails for a time. Uh, they did recall seeing both of those emails, said that those were real. Uh, and then I was able to corroborate uh, some of the other emails from the cache that were not at the center of the early New York Post stories, um, just by talking to a couple of people who had been in touch with Hunter Biden in, in the months before his father kicked off his latest presidential campaign, described to them the emails when they were sent, the communications, and they said, yes, those are real communications I had with Hunter Biden. 
Um, and then finally, I uh, obtained uh, from the Swedish government under Sweden's freedom of information law some correspondence that Hunter Biden had uh, with his landlord when he had an office at the Swedish embassy complex in Washington. Uh, and the emails released by the Swedish government uh, matched emails that were in this cache. So what I can say is that there are uh, there are at least many files that are genuine. Uh, it's sort of impossible to rule out that something that's not genuine has been slipped in there. Um, and uh, you know, I wasn't really able to to prove or disprove the provenance story that was offered by the New York Post. Um, you know, they they offered a detailed story uh, on the record as to how they came into possession of these emails. Uh, and Hunter Biden hasn't uh, really said one way or another. He said he's not sure, he doesn't remember if he dropped off a laptop at this MacBook shop at, in the relevant time period. Uh, so we're left with what the New York Post says versus Hunter Biden saying, I'm not sure. I think because the laptop originated with, publicly with uh, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, that made it easier for the media to ignore it. I mean, plus you had the specter of the Russian boogeyman former intelligence officials claiming that this looks like Russian disinformation, even though they also acknowledged they had no evidence for it. But everything about the laptop story makes sense to me. I mean, you've corroborated now some of the emails. Hunter Biden was a drug addict at the time, so it's quite plausible to me that he would forget that he dropped off a laptop at a uh, computer store. And the laptop even had a sticker on it, right, from from uh, Bo Biden's foundation or, or or one of the Biden foundations. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, when you look at this in context, uh, it is plausible that he, he left this behind. He uh, also lost another laptop around the same time period when, when the one that ended up in the hands of the New York Post uh, was supposed to have been left by him at this repair shop. He left one at the office of a psychologist up in Newburyport, Massachusetts, where he'd been seeking counseling and trying to get his life together around the winter of 2018, 2019, uh, left it behind, forgot about it. And then the DEA raided uh, this person's office and seized the laptop. And Hunter was able to get that one back because his laptop wasn't relevant to whatever the DEA was investigating. Uh, but it just sort of shows that he's, you know, leaving possessions uh, behind, important possessions, things that would have, you know, that would contain sensitive material. Um, and, and there's just sort of a, a general chaos that that surrounds his life uh, that threatens uh, at several points to unleash collateral damage uh, on his father's presidential ambitions. So what to you about the Hunter Biden emails are the most damning for Joe Biden himself? I always thought, I always thought the biggest scandal here was the media scandal, just refusing to report on the contents because some anonymous officials claimed they might be Russian disinformation, even though, again, they had no evidence for that. Um, you uh, And I also thought the most damning thing about Hunter Biden was already publicly known, which is that he got this really profitable board seat on the um, board of directors for the Ukrainian uh, energy company Burisma, not long after his father, Joe Biden, helped orchestrate a coup in Ukraine. And now Hunter Biden, with no energy sector experience, gets paid, you know, over $50,000 per month, at least to sit on Burisma's board. But in terms of the what came out of the laptop emails, what to you there was most damning for Joe Biden himself? 
Yeah, well, well, first of all, I should caution that there's, you know, there's been a lot of additional reporting on uh, emails in the New York Post and and in the Daily Mail um, that I don't get into in the book, uh, simply because I wanted to stick uh, in terms of things that that were significant or potentially significant to things that I had found independent corroboration for. Um, And so what I do discuss in the book is these first two emails that are uh, at the center of the the initial New York Post reporting. And one is uh, Vadim Pusarsky, this uh, advisor to the board of Burisma, thanking Hunter for for an opportunity to meet uh, Joe Biden back in 2015 when Joe Biden's sitting vice president overseeing uh, US policy in Ukraine. And uh, that in and of itself is, you know, it's not the Teapot Dome scandal, but it does, um, you know, if a meeting did take place and the Biden campaign has deny that any meeting took place. There is some additional evidence uh, that's been brought forward that they may have been at the same dinner with Hunter Biden uh, and others at, at Cafe Milano the night before. We know that Joe Biden was there um, and we haven't heard definitively from anybody about whether Vadim Basarsky uh, was there or not, but there was a, a New York Post email uh, that lists a bottom on the guest list for that dinner. Uh, it, it would just renew uh, the original uh, critique of this uh, this board appointment that it wasn't about uh, the advice and expertise that Hunter Biden, who did not have uh, experience to speak of in Ukraine or in the energy sector, would bring to Burisma. It was about his connection to his father. So if he were facilitating any sort of encounter with someone. Uh, someone affiliated with Burisma at this time, while Burisma's under suspicion of corruption, uh, while its, its owner, Mikola Lachevsky, is being condemned by our State Department uh, for his alleged uh, corruption. Uh, that, that hammers home why people were upset about this gig in the first place. And, and then with this, uh, this second email, this 10 held by H for the big guy question mark, uh, Joe Biden's campaign has said he's never discussed having a family member hold any equity for him or being involved in a venture with his family or being involved in an overseas venture. So they've they've denied that Joe Biden, you know, was having someone secretly hold equity in a, in a venture. Um, but it just raises all sorts of questions of, well, then why was this email ever sent? Was Hunter Biden telling people that he was going to hold equity on his father's behalf? Uh, this this venture in particular, uh, Yi Jinming, uh, has been linked by the Financial Times to the Chinese military intelligence community. This is uh, the CEFC executive who was involved in this aborted deal that's being discussed in that email. Uh, and he's gone missing in China. And there's been a report in, on Chinese state TV that he's been implicated in a, in a corruption trial of, a, of another official by prosecutors there. Uh, and so it, it's just the question of of you know what was the first these me- what were the members these members of the first family doing in this business deal um, we haven't had Joe Biden address uh, the question of whether he ever discussed this this deal that was coming together with Tony Bobulinski who has come forward and said you know I did discuss this deal with Joe Biden uh, in 2017 in Los Angeles. Um, and just speaks to the broader issue, which comes up a lot in the book, which is that members of the family uh, for decades have uh, pursued business deals, gotten loans, uh, otherwise in their in their personal 
business dealings and financial dealings, uh, done things that raise questions of whether they're getting favorable treatment because they're related to Joe Biden, uh, whether they're taking money from people who have an influence, who have an interest in ingratiating themselves with Joe Biden. Um, and it's just a, a can of worms that, uh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to have opened up. This business associate of Hunter Biden's, Tony Bobolinsky, who came forward before the election, he was a darling of uh, right wing media. Trump heavily promoted him. You followed up with him, right? And you tried to get him to uh, provide you with more evidence to support his claims. And as I, as, I, as I understand your book, he wasn't very forthcoming. And I'm wondering, was that part of the problem here? I do think that the Trump side, you know, Giuliani, uh, Bannon, that they embellished some of their claims about Biden, or at least made claims of, about Biden that they couldn't support with facts. Yeah, that's right. And that's, I, I mean, uh, even, even before Bobby Lewinsky appears on the scene at the end of this campaign, Trump and Giuliani are saying that Joe Biden's role in firing Viktor Shokin, who was the prosecutor general of, uh, of Ukraine, uh, was part of a, a corrupt attempt to help Burisma and Zlochevsky uh, by getting rid of Shokin so that Shokin couldn't investigate them for corruption. And there are a lot of problems with that claim that they're putting forth. Uh, one of the big ones is that a lot of U.S. allies uh, had already exp expressed their displeasure with Shokin uh, well before uh, Joe Biden uh, steps in and essentially forces the government of Ukraine to oust him. Uh, and, and part of their complaint with Shokin is that he's not doing enough to crack down on corruption. And so what Biden was doing was consistent with uh, what others in Washington uh, had been calling for, or at least had been expressing displeasure with Shokin, uh, what Western allies uh, had, had also expressed. Um, and it's also not clear what was exactly was going on with Shokin and whether he had investigations open that he was pursuing or not at that time with Burisma. Uh, some people have said, this theory doesn't make any sense at all because the cases related to Burisma and Zlochevsky were closed uh, by the time this happened. There is a Ukrainian Interfax report, though, from about a month before Shokin gets the boot uh, that says his office was involved in freezing Zlochevsky's assets uh, in cooperation with a British investigation of Zlochevsky. Uh, and so it's, it's murky, but certainly uh, Trump and Giuliani fell far short of, of proving what they claimed. Uh, and then with Bob Lewinsky, yeah, he appears, he's working, uh, he appears in October um, after these New York Post reports start to appear. And he says, yeah, uh, and he's, he's on that 10 for 10 held by it for the big guy email. And he says, yes, uh, that email means what you think it means. It means that Hunter was considering holding equity on behalf of his father. The big guy does mean Joe Biden. Um, and he says that he met with Joe Biden in Los Angeles in, in 2017, uh, around the time of the Milken conference that, that Biden attended out there. And, um, and we talked in general terms about this, about this deal uh, that we were pursuing and, and Joe Biden was clearly familiar with it. Um, and Bobby Lewinsky wouldn't sit down with me. He wouldn't get on the phone with me. He uh, wanted me to uh, just refer to what he'd said publicly elsewhere. Uh, and that made it difficult for me because this was uh, the closing weeks of a presidential election. 
uh, he was, you know, making a, a contentious claim. He was working with a presidential campaign. Uh, you really want to sit down with somebody uh, and talk it out with them and see what they can show you. And he did cooperate with other media outlets, Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, um, perhaps even Sinclair uh, and others and, and gave some statements. But it made it much harder uh, to report on what he was saying. Uh, now, there are also reasons to to not doubt uh, the substance of much of what he was saying. Uh, he was involved in this deal that the Bidens were pursuing. Uh, he did not have some long history as a Republican donor or activist. In fact, uh, at least on the national level, his donations had tended to go to Democrats, including uh, Ro Khanna out in California. Ro Khanna made some statement saying that he knows Tony Bobulinski to be an honorable person. Um, and what he was saying was not uh, completely sensational based on what else we knew. He was saying, yeah, this email says what it kind of looks like it says. Um, and yeah, I talked to Joe Biden about this deal a little bit. Um, he wasn't coming out and saying, you know, I saw Joe Biden take a suitcase full of cash or whatever other sort of claim. Um, and it just sort of speaks to the, the difficulty of, of parsing the truth uh, in a situation like this, uh, where, uh, there's, there's, you know, the, the queer political element in, in, in a presidential campaign, um, there's foreign aspects to this, you know, Yu Jinping, one of the most important people for understanding this has, has disappeared from public view in China. Um, and so there's a lot of mystery that surrounds it still, I think. It just seems that this story was such a victim of uh, partisanship, partisan hackery, uh, where, especially I have to say on the Democratic side, uh, in, in the media, just refusing to cover the story and taking at face value the this ridiculous suggestion that it's Russian disinformation, even though there's no evidence for it. And I see you as one of these rare reporters who's trying to do their job and look at what the facts are, both, you know, how... Uh, regardless of the partisan utility and, and you have a very nuanced portrayal the the emails to me strike me as not as damning to joe biden as the trump camp wanted to portray them as but still they do as you point out uh raise serious questions and it just stands out to me that the story was not um pursued by most of the media it was actually willfully ignored and i'm wondering now that you've authenticated some of the emails in the hunter biden laptop what has been the reaction to your book from the same media outlets that basically refused to cover the story based on the fact that it might be Russian disinformation or this based on the fear that it was all just uh, dirt from Giuliani and Bannon? Um, you know, what I'll say is that uh, for Politico, my, you know, the instructions have always been report without fear or favor. And I've been grateful for that and uh, did a ton of reporting on Biden relatives business dealings throughout the whole presidential campaign from the primary down through uh, down through the closing weeks of the campaign. Uh, in terms of the response to this news, you know, it's it's turned up in some places and not in others. Uh, obviously, the New York Post uh, has been, you know, happy to tout uh, this corroboration of their reporting, uh, which was, you know, so maligned and questioned at the time. Uh, and what I'll say is that I'm I'm grateful for uh, independent voices like yours and others uh, that exist out there that 
you know, just add to the perspectives uh, and the reporting that goes on. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of, you know, success uh, talking, you know, I was on recording a podcast with Matt Taibbi the other day. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a good and healthy thing. And so I'm grateful for, uh, for voices like yours that are interested in the book and the findings. And Hunter Biden now has a new controversy uh, when it comes to his artwork, selling his paintings, a task, I think, a an interest that he, I think he only recently took up in, in the last few years, um, selling his paintings for something like a half a million dollars a piece. Can you catch us up to speed on that? Who who was who buying the paintings? Who was buying the paintings? Uh, are there, is Hunter Biden not meeting them as the Biden administration initially promised? What's the story there? Yeah, you know, and you write a book like this and it's all focused on the relative's business dealings. And you say, well, this is the pattern I found. I wonder if it'll be relevant. And, um, you know, uh, as it turns out, as this book is coming out, yeah, it's, it remains quite relevant and, and past its prologue um, because once again, uh, Hunter Biden's, you know, the way that he's making money is, is making headlines and causing controversy. Um, he uh, has recently pivoted to uh, a career in art uh, and he's focusing right now on painting. Uh, this is something he's had interest in it for at least a, a few years based on uh, my reporting for the book when he was in Newburyport a few years ago, he was, he was taking painting lessons um, and flying lessons. But he is a debut artist who's charging up to half a million dollars for a work. And that is a, you know, an astronomical extraordinary sum for a debut artist to be charging. Uh, and so the question becomes, if someone is going to pay half a million dollars or even 75 or a hundred thousand dollars for a Hunter Biden painting, are they doing it? Uh, because, you know, this, this artwork is just so compelling. Uh, are they doing it because of the notoriety of Hunter Biden or are they perhaps doing it uh, in order to somehow ingratiate themselves with president Biden, because they're looking for some sort of favorable treatment from the United States government. And uh, the White House in uh, talking about how this is going to, is going to go down uh, has said that we've decided that the best way to handle this, you know, in consultation with uh, Hunter's representatives is to have the buyers remain anonymous. And so Hunter Biden won't know who's buying his art and neither will the public. Uh, and this immediately drew, uh, frankly, howls from ethics experts who said that uh, somebody anonymously giving half a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars to the president's son uh, immediately invites questions about whether they're doing it to somehow try to get influence with Joe Biden, with Hunter Biden's father or ingratiate themselves to the Bidens. Uh, and, and so it was sort of ethics experts, you know, considered this sort of bad enough when they first heard about it. And then there was a new wrinkle that I think CBS News first reported, which was uh, well, Hunter Biden will actually be meeting face-to-face -face with potential buyers, and that undermines the anonymity of the process. And the White House response on this has been, yes, he'll be meeting face-to-face -face with these buyers, but these conversations uh, will not pertain to the buying of art. And talk to a, 
a dean or a professor at George Washington who just sort of said, essentially, give me a break. Uh, he's meeting with them. They may then go uh, buy these artworks. Uh, it would be trivially easily for them to, to signal that they had actually you know, purchased it and for how much. Um, and so this is the ongoing drama now. He had his first art show in the last week or so. Uh, I've seen a report that there have been some purchases, but at the end of the day, we don't really know who's paying him for what. Uh, and so these questions are once again. And this is where I, again, I think the partisan hypocrisy has to be acknowledged if one wants to be consistent. If Don Jr., Trump's son, was selling paintings for a half a million dollars, or if, again, he had gotten a lucrative board seat on a Ukrainian uh, gas company for $50,000 a month or even more, according to some reports. I mean, the, the media would be up in arms, but the the response to Hunter Biden's dealings uh, on this front gets a very muted reaction. Now, I do want to ask you about one thing there, you know, as corrupt as I think it is, Hunter Biden's um, uh, ability to uh, exploit his father's position, there is something endearing about Hunter and, and tragic about him, obviously, um, and, and and something endearing about his relationship with his father. There is, I mean, that, you know, they they lose uh, Hunter Biden's mother when Hunter is very young and also Hunter Biden's sister in a car accident. Um, Hunter and, and his brother Bo are in the car, they survive. Um, and then Hunter Biden in adulthood develops a very serious uh, drug addiction, which he's only, you know, come through recently. Um, and in the picture we've gotten of their uh, relationship around that, I mean, even from some of the emails on the laptop or communication on, on the laptop, Joe Biden comes across as a very supportive father throughout this process. I I'm wondering if, you know, given that Joe Biden also authored the crime bill, which led to a huge expansion in mass incarceration, from your reporting, have you heard anything about whether Biden and, and Hunter have ever grappled with the the fact that you know Hunter's really benefited from his privilege and you know emerging from his uh, drug addiction and his other legal troubles very unscathed. While meanwhile, his father, Joe Biden, you know, authored legislation that harshly punished people with drug problems, you know, putting them in prison. Yeah, you know, the, the book sort of points this out uh, the the real disparity there. Um, I don't know how much they've grappled with that, you know, individually or together uh, as, as father and son. Um, obviously, it's something that's, that's been pointed out again and again in the press um, and has, has given uh, more impetus for calls to, for Joe Biden to do more to uh, reform, uh, reform these sentencing disparities or grant clemency or find some way uh, to address uh, what what are now widely seen as the excesses of uh, the war on crime and and his role in it uh, back then, uh, and and that's obviously yeah a very poignant uh, personal counterpoint to uh, to what Joe Biden was doing in public life uh, and sort of speaks to um, you know I think the value of of providing personal and family context uh, in in the stories of world leaders and integrating that with what they're doing in their public life and seeing how uh, you know seeing where the where the hypocrisies lie and and where uh, 
where the family experience is, is influencing them for good or for ill, but you raise a very important point. And so Bo Biden, uh, Hunter Biden's brother, he dies of brain cancer in 2015. It's well known that Joe Biden's always favored Bo Biden, always saw him as his successor. There have been reports that Joe Biden blames um, the burn pits in Iraq, at least partly on Bo Biden's death. Uh, Bo Biden served in Iraq. Uh, Joe Biden was instrumental in, in voting for the war uh, on Iraq and sort of helped lead the Senate uh, support for the war in Iraq. Do you know anything about that, whether uh, Biden has ever record with his own role in, in, in you know, um, vo uh, supporting the Iraq war and then how that might have impacted his son and possibly even cost him his life? I know that that Joe Biden at, at times or at least once has said that that's the the one vote he regrets or the vote he regrets most is the vote to authorize the war in Iraq. Uh, he said something similar, though, about uh, Glass-Steagall repeal. Uh, and I don't know actually much about uh, about his view that that Bo's brain cancer may have may have been related to his time in Iraq. Um, I think that's that's fascinating. And I might actually connect with you after afterward on taping to take a look at that myself. Um, I, I, I wish I knew more. And what you do uh, write about in the book is that Bo himself thought that he, he might have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from his time serving in Iraq. That's right. And that's uh, part of, I believe, the initial confusion when he starts to have what I think uh, they first think is an aneurysm. Obviously, Joe Biden had a couple of aneurysms um, after his first presidential run that nearly killed him. And so uh, Bo Biden, after his time in Iraq, uh, at times, I think while running, uh, he would he would sort of start to lose uh, lose himself and, and need to stop and steady himself uh, and thought it may have been post-traumatic stress or disorder, but uh, now was probably the early signs of this brain cancer. Let's talk a bit about uh, Joe Biden's ascent to the presidency. As you say, after you know half a century in Washington, he finally arrives um, to the White House uh, after a lot of people had counted him out, uh, including in in 2020 during the primary. But first, going back to 2016, when uh, Obama is leaving office and there and Hillary Clinton is entering the race, Biden says at the time that, you know, he just wasn't ready, uh, especially after Bo's death. I'm wondering, did you think that he faced too much pressure from both Obama and Clinton not to run, that they didn't think he could win and they were sort of anointing Hillary as Obama's successor, and that that was possibly the driving factor in, in Biden's decision not to run then, not, as he said publicly, his his family? Yeah, my sense with any decision like this is that there are going to be a number of factors, but it is clear both from, uh, you know, some public signals uh, at the time and press coverage at the time and, and what Joe Biden has said and written in his second memoir since then, uh, that he very much felt like Obama had settled on Hillary Clinton as his chosen successor. Uh, you can tell that that Joe Biden is a little bit hurt by that. Uh, someone who has felt underestimated at many, many points in his career. Uh, and obviously hindsight is, is 2020, but given the way that 2016 played out, 
uh, and the coalition uh, that Trump ended up eking out a win with, uh, you know, Joe Biden uh, took some vindication from that and, and probably rightfully so uh, in believing that he may have been the better candidate uh, for the Democratic Party in 2016. And 2020, he is vindicated again when he wins, when everybody, including, uh, you know, pundits across the spectrum and uh, other members of the Democratic Party had counted him out in the in the primary after he loses the first two contests uh, of that race. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, you know, one one theme of this book is that over the long stretch of Joe Biden's career, he's been uh, left for dead politically more than once. Um was actually left for dead in a, in a more literal way after uh, flaming out of the 1988 Democratic primary when he, he has a couple of aneurysms. And at one point, uh, a priest is actually administering last rites to him in a, in a hospital bed and Jill Biden uh, comes across this scene and shoes the man away. And, and Joe Biden, of course, uh, recovers from this, uh, was sort of left for dead after uh, his gaffe in describing Obama as, what was it, clean and articulate at the beginning of the 2008 primary process, and he flames out pretty quickly there as well, and, and is sort of resuscitated uh, by uh, being picked for Obama's ticket. And of course, part of the reason that he's picked is that he's viewed as someone with no political future by that time, uh, so he's not going to be uh, you know, maneuvering for himself, he'll be viewed as a more reliable number two to Obama. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, that calculation isn't totally correct and that he's the president now. Uh, and there is, there is a, a lesson that he sort of starts out his first memoir with uh, that the, the most important thing that his father taught him is that when you get knocked down by life, you get up again and again. And I think you see that in just the uh, the sheer number of times uh, that he has continued to hang on in politics uh, and continue to pursue uh, the presidency. And, and finally, he's made it. The book is called The Bidens, Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. Ben Treckinger, the national political correspondent for Politico, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. 